A number of weeks back in the days leading up to Christmas, I remember I had a moment. I can't remember all the details surrounding that day. I just remember a mad scramble. I just remember chaos. I remember in the rush of the Christmas season, I was in the middle of a busy day of having to be several places at the same time with a to-do list that was quickly growing and not shrinking and having just this general sense of feeling overwhelmed. You ever have a day like that? Yeah, good, you know what I'm talking about then. Well, it was in the middle of this chaos that I looked at my wrist to see that I had forgotten to put my watch on that morning. Not a good day to forget your watch. And so I looked over at my son, Jacob, who I noticed was wearing a watch, and I asked him, hey pal, like, what time is it? He answered back, I don't know. I responded, what do you mean you don't know? Just look at your watch. To which he responded, oh, my watch hasn't worked in ages. It's, it's broken. Well, flabbergasted and beyond confused, I said to him, in the name of everything good, why are you wearing a watch that does not work? And he answered, I don't know. I just kind of like the way it looks. But I said, but you'll never know what time it is. To which he replied, Dad, I'm a 15-year-old kid in the middle of a pandemic on Christmas break. What do I care what time it is? And you know, just for a moment, I was actually incredibly envious of him because I always care what time it is. In fact, it wouldn't be inaccurate to say that in many ways, I'm a slave to my watch, to time. It, it can be a cruel master. Maybe you can relate. You know, I, I, my, my watch, well, it rules my day. Alarm goes off at 6.30, breakfast by 7, work at 9, morning meeting at 10, lunch at noon, afternoon meeting at 3, head home around 5, dinner at 6, sports practice at 7, lease game at 8, take a break to, to maybe send some texts or answer some more emails. Leaf game over at 10. Complain about Leafs till 10.15. Lights out at 11. Sleep seven hours and repeat the entire process again the next day. My watch even tells me if I've been a good boy that day and got my 10,000 steps in. You know, our clocks dictate our days, right? No, it wasn't always that way. We used to live according to the rhythms of creation, the rising and the setting of the sun, the changing of the seasons, a much kinder taskmaster. Until some wise guy, a guy named Bithenia, to be accurate, decided he needed to invent the sundial and then everything changed forever. <laughs> Like they knew even way back then the trouble that this would cause as far back as 200 BC. There's this quote, this hilarious quote from Plautus from Comer's book that we are journeying through in our book clubs, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, regarding the sundial. And it is as hilarious as it is true. Listen to this quote. The gods confound the man who first found out how to distinguish ours. Confound him too. 
who in this place set up a sundial to cut and hack my days so wretchedly into small portions. Preach it, Plautus. The truth is we are ruled by time so much, in fact, that we're pretty sure if we could just get more of it, it would solve the epidemic of the hurry problem that we have in our lives that's causing so much stress that's causing us to be so mentally, physically, and spiritually exhausted. Like just more time would help to cancel chaos. You know, if I just had more time, I'd I'd read more books. If I had more time, I'd, I'd take that class that I always wanted to take, that I always meant to take. If I had more time, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd go to the gym, I'd get a membership. If I had more time, I'd invest in my faith life. You know, once this busy season is over, then I'll spend more time uh, with God in prayer. Then I'll spend more time in community at church. I just need more time. You know, how many of you had said, have said the old saying, there just aren't enough hours in the day. <laughs> there just aren't enough hours in the day, like 24. It's just not enough. You know, but the fact is 24 is, it's all we get. And it ain't changing. <laughs> I mean, God did it once for Joshua in Joshua 10, 13, where it says the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since. But God has not decided to do that a whole lot after that situation with Joshua. You know, the world is full of inequality. It can be a very unfair place, but there is one thing that is an equal experience for every person on the planet. Other than the day we're born and the day we we die, we all get 24 hours a day. You know, there is a, a great book in, a great bit in the book that talks about being at peace with our limitations. Like our God is limitless We are not. We all have limitations. We have limited energy. We have limited resources. And it's healthy to remember and even celebrate our limitations sometimes. You know, we also have limited time. And that means that when we say yes to something, we're in essence saying no to something else. We only have so much time. And let's be honest. Like even if we did have a few more extra hours in a day, we'd we'd just fill it with more activity. I mean, good stuff, but more stuff. More meetings, more activity, more scrolling. And we'd end up even more exhausted and frayed than we are now. You know, last week we talked about hurry sickness, this really serious hurry problem that is plaguing our culture but the solution to our hurry problem, it's, it's not more time. So what is the solution? Well, I think we find a precious clue in God's word. Please turn in your Bible or on your device to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Last week I said this would be a foundational verse in our Cancel Chaos series. And t- we're, we're gonna park here in this verse today and consider it. Okay, I'll let you read it for just a second. And then I'll read it out loud for us. 
Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Hey, if you're watching today, if you're tracking with us in the series, if you're reading along with us in our book clubs, you've likely guessed that the solution to our hurry problem is in fact a spiritual one. And that it has to do with, with Jesus and you would be 100% correct. You see, Jesus, he, he, he was, Jesus is many things. If you put your trust in him, if you put your life into his hands, he's our everything. Right? Jesus is divinity, the second member of the, the Godhead, eternal, omniscient, holy, he's God. Jesus is savior, right? He's the one who paid the price for our sins through his death and welcomed us into this relationship with our creator, God, forever through his resurrection. Jesus is our friend. He's the one that, who, that loves us and cares for us like none other. Jesus is a provider. He's a healer. Jesus is king forever. Jesus is awesome. But here in Matthew 11, Jesus is teacher. You know, I love how he says in verse 29, come and learn from me. You know, his disciples called him rabbi, which in Hebrew means teacher and as our teacher Jesus teaches us a lot about this problem of hurry and here in these verses he offers us two incredible invitations as it relates to overcoming the hurry problem in our lives see the first thing that Jesus offers us is his yoke Take my yoke upon you. You know, as a rabbi to his disciples, like John Mark writes about in his book, like every rabbi in his day, Jesus had what was called a yoke. Now, a, a yoke is a, a wooden instrument commonly used to join two animals together to carry a load or to plow a field. Right? A yoke attaches two creatures together, usually across the shoulders, to help one another like shoulder a load. But the idea of, of a yoke was a common one in Jesus' day to refer to a teacher and their students. And that's how Jesus is using it here. It was a term used to describe a student joining together with a teacher who would help carry their load through life. A rabbi, based on the teachings of the Torah, a teacher would essentially make an offer to their students. Hey, life, life can be tough. You're going to face challenges along the way. There's also beauty. There's also joy. There's deep meaning. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my yoke upon you. I'm going to teach you my personal ways. I'm going to teach you based on my knowledge my experience, the things that I've discovered that, that will help you navigate life. Come learn from me, take my yoke. 
See, every good rabbi worth his salt had a, a yoke. And he put it on his students. It was his teaching. It often involved a lot of work. Right? A lot of effort, a lot of following rules precisely to the nth degree without a lot of grace. It was usually a heavy yoke, which leads to more exhaustion and effort, not less. And that's why this statement from Jesus here in Matthew 11 is so important. How does Jesus describe his yoke? Easy and light. Jesus is saying, what I'm going to teach you as my students, my way of life, my yoke, is freeing. I'm going to take things off of your soul, not put more things on your soul. This is revolutionary. What Jesus was offering as a teacher to his, his audience then and to, to us now, this offer of a way of life that removes burdens rather than put them on. An easy yoke. Okay, and of course, the second thing any rabbi worth his salt also had was, was students. You can't be a, a rabbi if you don't have students or, or disciples Okay, the Hebrew word is actually Talmudim. It's a word that stresses the relationship between a rabbi and their student. A Talmud in Jesus' day would give their whole life up in order to be with their teacher. Okay, the student wouldn't just seek like, to know what his teacher knew, which is kind of like the, the student-teacher model we kind of are used to and are familiar with. But the goal of, of the student in the biblical context was to do what the rabbi did. It's like imagine if your, your kid's education didn't end at the front day of their school, the, the school that they go to when they exit the door at 3.15 or whatever time your kids are done school. But their education would continue as they followed their teacher through life. They went to their home to see how they lived the rest of their lives. Like, how can I learn from my teacher about how he or she spends their, their day, their time? What can I learn from watching them about how they, they take care of themselves? How can I learn from my teacher about how they interact with other people? Like not just book lessons, life lessons. That's, that's the model described here. In, in his book, Comer prefers to translate the word Talmudin, rather than even disciple, as apprentice. Apprentice to model your whole life after. Jesus offers us the chance to apprentice under him. Wow. You know, I remember when I was about 15 years old, I desperately wanted a pair of eight-hole cherry red Doc Martin army boots. I'd seen some older kids wearing them, I guess. I just thought they were so cool. And me and my friend both said, oh yeah, we're, we're, we're gonna get a pair of those. And like this was before the days where you could just like buy a pair at the local mall or go to a shoe store. Back in those days to get a pair of Doc Martens, you actually had to go to the city, right? You, you, had, to, you had to actually go to a real army surplus store on, on Young Street, and they weren't cheap. And like, I didn't have a, like a real job yet. 
and so I did chores around the house. I cut grass in the neighborhood. I scrimped. I saved until finally I had enough money. And my friend and I went off to Toronto and we, we bought our boots. And, you know, we, like we thought we, were, we thought we were all that. I remember I wore those things everywhere so much, in fact, that like some of the stitching eventually started to come loose. And so I took my prize boots into a local shoe repair shop one day, and as I approached the counter, there was like this huge, intimidating German man behind the counter working on a pair of shoes. I guessed like he was probably the owner of the shop. He was like the official shoemaker. I guess it's called a cobbler. <laughs> he was a cobbler. <laughs> And he gruffly saw me, looked up from what he was doing, and he asked my obviously intimidated 15-year-old self what I wanted. And so I placed my boots on the counter. I showed him the loose stitching and said, hey, do you think you could fix these? Yeah, I fixed them. Come back in a week. And he put his head down and he went back, back to work. Well, I made my way to the exit, and as I reached the threshold of the door, the man called out, Boy, come back here. And so I nervously walked back to the counter. <laughs> yes, sir, did I, did I forget something? No, he said. Boy, you come work for me. Work for you? Like I said, I didn't have a job at the time, and those Slurpees at 7-Eleven weren't going to pay for themselves. And so I asked him, I said, well, well, how much? How much what? He replied. I said, how much money? Like, how much will you pay me to work for you? Oh, no money, the man said. I'm offering you something better. You come be my apprentice. Come and watch me. I'll teach you everything I know. True story. So I stood there like trying to quickly process this offer in my head. I pictured myself telling my friends I had a new job. I pictured them asking me how much I was getting paid. I pictured me telling them nothing. I'm getting paid in experience. I pictured them laughing at me as they walked away with their 7-Eleven Slurpees while I stood there empty-handed. And so I said, thanks, but but no thanks to the burly cobbler. <laughs> and he disapprovingly shook his head and said, come back in a week for your boots. And I headed out the door. True story, but to this day, there's like this part of me that regrets not at least like trying it out. Like there's this part of me that wonders if he might have taught me some lessons much bigger than simply how to fix shoes. Life lessons. Like this guy looked like, you know, like he had lived some life. You know, he knew some, some things. There's a part of me that wonders if I might have been like his Daniel son to his Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> right? Karate Kid reference. After all, it was the 80s. You know, apprenticeship is a beautiful and transformative relationship model. And that's what Jesus offers us. Come, learn from me. Take my yoke. 
It's beautiful. It's incredible. Jesus offers us his whole self, access to his life. There's an invitation from Jesus here, Matthew 11, to apprentice under the master. Hey, anyone remember those bracelets that used to be fashionable in kind of Christian circles back in the day? They had the letters WWJD written on them. What would Jesus do? Remember those? I remember being like a new Christian and asking a friend, seeing people wearing these, these bracelets and saying, what's, what's up with those bracelet things? And he was like, oh, WWJD, like what would Jesus do? I'm like, oh, do I have to wear one like to be in the club? He's like, no, it's a reminder, right? Like to think what Jesus would do when you face different circumstances in life. And you know, it's actually a great question to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? But you know, I, I, I think sometimes, I mean, generally, we just ask that question around the morality of Jesus. What would Jesus do? Okay, right now, Jesus would forgive that person. Right now, Jesus would help that person. Right now, he would tell someone this, which is awesome, which is so important, the actions that Jesus would take. But I think there's a greater invitation here. I think there's a greater question, a greater key in overcoming the epidemic of hurry and burnout in our lives. Not simply what Jesus would do in terms of morality, but how would Jesus live his life? See, Jesus offers us his yoke, his way of life, his rhythms. Theologian Dallas Willard writes this about these verses that we just read from Matthew 11. It's what he calls the secret of the easy yoke. The secret of the easy yoke. Here's what he says. In this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life. Adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully, while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else around us does. It's a strategy bound to fail. See, Jesus' invitation to apprenticeship is an invitation to holistically model all the parts of our lives after him. And this is where we're going in the next four weeks of our series. On page 77 of his book, Comer writes that the invitation to be Jesus' apprentice contains three parts. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus would do if he were living your life. Okay, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus would do if he were living your life. See, when Jesus invited his disciples to come and follow me, to apprentice under him, Yes, they certainly listened to his teaching. They certainly learned about righteousness in the kingdom of God from his actions. But they also learned about how he lived all of his life. They watched Jesus. They learned how he ordered his time. 
when he pressed in, when he pulled away, how he recharged, how he, how he balanced life that had so many demands and expectations on him, all the while never missing an important or beautiful moment. They learned from him as they watched how he connected so intimately with his father. See, they learned from his life, but they also learned from his lifestyle. You know, Comer tells a funny story in the book about being envious of these incredibly fit runners that gather to run every morning on the street just outside of his home. And like these runners, they look remarkably fit. Their running posture is perfect. They look fast. They look sleek. Running looks like actually effortless for them. Incredible athletes. And as kind of a casual runner, he looks at these, these people and he says, I want that. Like, I want to look like that. I want to be able to run like that. I want that for my life. But while he's sipping his coffee and eating pastries in his warm apartment, they are eating celery, not missing a single workout, no matter how cold it is in the winter or, or warm in the summer. They're doing interval training over and over, pushing their lungs to the breaking point. See, he wants their life, but he's not willing to adopt their lifestyle. He won't take their yoke, if you will. And Jesus' invitation to us is to take his yoke. To travel through our lives side by side. Picture that yoke connected to Jesus. You on one side, Jesus on the other. At home, at school, at our jobs, at the arena, in the craziness of our modern world, Jesus wants to link arms with us, to share a yoke with us, to allow him to shoulder the weight by teaching us the rhythms of how he lives. And to ask ourselves, like, what would Jesus do? WWJD, amid all this chaos of our modern world, what would Jesus do? and discover how to step out of burnout and into rest. To discover the abundant life that Jesus offers us is to discover his theology, his teaching, absolutely. His ethics, his morality, of course, so important. It's, but it's just more. It's also to discover his way of life, to learn to live the Jesus way. Now, I love how the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus. Not just do as I say, but do as I do. Watch how I live. The New Living's translation says the same verse this way, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Jesus. Paul says, just don't listen to my teaching, although that's important, but imitate my life. And then he says in chapter four, verses 15 through 17, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
I urge you then to be imitators of me. I love that image of a father and, and child. You know, our kids, our children learn so much more from us by watching our lifestyle than they do from our words. Right? In, in Paul's life, Timothy was so much more than a student of Paul's. He was an apprentice. Paul shared his yoke with Timothy. You know, about this topic, author and pastor Eugene Peterson wrote this. The Jesus way, wedded to the Jesus truth, brings about the Jesus life. I'm going to read that again for us. The Jesus way, his way of living, the rhythms of his life, wedded to the Jesus truth, brings about the Jesus life. But then he goes on to say, but Jesus as the truth gets far more attention than Jesus as the way. Jesus is the way is the most frequently evaded metaphor among Christians with whom I have worked for 50 years as a North American pastor. In other words, we want the Jesus life, but to get that, to gain that, we have to adopt the Jesus lifestyle. Hey, have you ever asked yourself how Jesus would live your life? What interesting question. Right? If he were a, I don't know, a farmer in Melanchthon, a stay-at-home mom in Shelburne, a doctor in Grand Valley, what would Jesus do? How would he go about living your life? Like, what would his priorities be? How would Jesus balance family and work and technology? That's an interesting question. How would he decompress when life gets crazy? What practices would Jesus put into his life to maintain balance and stay connected to the Father? We're going to ask some of those questions over the coming weeks by looking at the life of Jesus, by putting on his yoke. You know, our lives, they're a byproduct of our lifestyles. And you know, I, I joked about this at the beginning, but our time is precious. The way we spend our time, the things we prioritize, the decisions that we make, the routines in our lives, they become how we order our minutes, which become our hours, which become our days, which become our years. Well, it becomes our life. So how did Jesus spend his time? What did he prioritize? Did he have practices? Did Jesus have rhythms in his life that led to this incredibly rich and unhurried life? A life that was fully present to everyone around him and to, to God? And if so, what were they? You know, in, in the book, Comer talks about helping kind of in this process by like defining for ourselves maybe what a rule of life would look like for us. Which is really just like defining the kind of life that you want to live. And then making decisions and putting things in place that will help you accomplish that life. 
You know, but I don't think we often do that. I think we aren't intentional sometimes with life. We just let life happen to us instead of the other way around. We let our watches master us instead of mastering our watches. And it leads to chaos rather than peace. The world way, the world's way instead of the Jesus way. You know, the first step to stepping out of hurry sickness, out of chaos and into calm, is to consider your life like the things that aren't healthy, the things that you don't want, and then to define the life that you do want and place practices in that will help you to achieve that. Hey, maybe even this week for a bit of, of homework, when it comes to this problem of hurry sickness, you know, I actually had a friend text me this week after last week I kind of named the 12 symptoms of hurry sickness. He said, hey, I got nine, is there a prize? I said, no, sorry, dude, there's no prize. But maybe this week you might like think about your life in terms of busyness or even sit down with your spouse or with your family and just talk about this. Maybe even like write out like a rule of life that will help define your pace, kind of like a mission statement for your life. Like, I don't know, for example, if I use like our family, it might sound something like, okay, the Wagstaffs will pursue a life that allows us to love and enjoy God to the fullest, love and serve others as far as we are able, and to live our lives as though Jesus were living them through us. So when we have that on paper, we can say, okay, what practices, what rhythms do we need to incorporate in our life to kind of discover that? You know, it's a lot easier to know what things you need to put in or take out of your life when you can define the life that you want. It's a lot easier to be the master of our time when we know what we're shooting for rather than allowing our time to master us. So as we close, I'm just gonna read our key verse from Matthew 11, 28 through 30 again from actually Eugene Peterson's The Message as it's paraphrased there. As a final encouragement, as we begin this, this new week that we're heading into, as we begin this journey together over the next four weeks of discovering the Jesus way. Let me read it for us. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Wow, what an invitation. Hey, are you, are you ready to apprentice under Jesus? To get away with him? 
to walk with him, to work with him, to listen to him, to watch him, to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Doesn't that sound beautiful? Are you ready to take Jesus' yoke upon you? Me too. Absolutely. Hey, let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are some great, amazing invitations in your word. But today, we consider this one. This invitation to learn from Jesus. God, our world is chaotic. Our world is unbalanced and it has taught us many unhealthy and harmful things. And so I pray in the coming weeks as we look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, God, that you would help us to unlearn the patterns and habits that are stealing the life that you offer us. The things that distance us from you. And Holy Spirit, that you would teach us the Jesus way that leads to life. Help us to lay aside every yoke that hinders. And God, please place on our shoulders the yoke of Christ that brings freedom, joy, and peace. And it's in his beautiful and mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen.